So this week, you know, we're moving into the fifth chapter of Acts. And now the, the Sanhedrin, they're, they're still trying to figure out how to deal with Peter and John over the, the actions with the crippled man, over the healing of this, this crippled guy. Added to that, Peter and John continued to antagonize the Jewish leaders with their proclamations about Christ. To the point that, I mean, they want Peter and John dead. Today we encounter a particular Pharisee who, who speaks wisdom into the conflict. And his words, though spoken as someone who opposes Christ, give hope and strength, encouragement and promise to all Christians. Acts chapter 5, verses 27 to 39, we read in the name of the Lord. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and, and wanted to kill them. That's it, you're dead. We're done. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you'd speak through your word today, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. In Newtonian mechanics, the product of mass and the velocity of an object is called momentum. Momentum. So how far momentum will take something depends on the size of that something, as well as how quickly it's moving, the force at which it's, it's moving. My family, when we, uh, we first moved here, we were not used to hardwood floors. And my kids thought it was fantastic, like, for a while, because right? 
they put their socks on and it gets all slippery. And I, I distinctly remember one time Karen and I were, were downstairs, we're sitting in the living room, I don't know, reading books or talking or something. And, and suddenly this song breaks out from upstairs. And it's, it's Caleb. And he is, he is just singing, I'm skating in my socks. I'm skating in my socks. And you can just hear him like sliding across the floor upstairs. And it's like, oh boy, here we go. And then it's, I'm skating in my... And he just went right into the wall. Just boom. And then it's crying and it's, it's all these other things. But he, he, he misjudged his momentum a little bit, right? Like he got a little overzealous and he goes running down his room and he's doing his slide and funk. He had no way of stopping at that point in time. His momentum took him right into the wall. The size of his body and the speed at which he was going caused him to crash. Sometimes our momentum takes us farther than we maybe expected to go. And sometimes our momentum doesn't carry us as far as we would like. I, uh, I had decided a little bit ago that I was gonna start running. The dog needed some energy, like she needed to get her energy out. She's a pill in the morning. And so it's like, okay, so here's my plan. I'm gonna take the boys to school and then I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna hook the dog onto their leash and we're gonna go for a run. And I mean, that, that lasted for about three days I did that. I, I, I went for a run like three days in a row and then Friday came and then the weekend came and I, I got up on Monday morning and I was like, nope, nope. Monday's a good day to not do that. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. And then Tuesday came and it was like, ah, I'm still a little sore from those three days that I did this. I, I, think, I think I shouldn't. And then Wednesday came and it was really cold. And it was like, it would be irresponsible of me to go out and get a cold before like the weekend came. So I really probably shouldn't. And, and basically all of my momentum from those three days of I'm going to do this. I'm going to get healthier. I'm going to have more energy. I'm going to fit my vests the way that I'd like to fit my vests. Like, like that, that momentum totally dissipated. And I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm not willing to do all of what maybe I should be doing. So this is where I'm at. Yeah. So, so while Caleb was taken into a wall with his momentum, I was not taken into a more fit body with mine. His momentum caused him to overshoot. And mine ran out before it really did me any good. Sometimes we are the cause for the loss of our momentum. I mean, I, I was the cause for my loss of momentum, right? I didn't, I didn't want to go out and run again because running is not fun in my book, even though it's good and healthy and the dog needed it and I needed it. I was the cause for my loss of momentum. And sometimes it is external stimuli you know, something else, something outside that gets in the way, that causes momentum to die. In Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9, we, we find the story of the Tower of Babel. Now, all of humanity at this point in time was united under one language. They were in one area. They all spoke the same language. And, and, and then they, they got united under one cause. They had just figured out the technology of how to make bricks baking mud and like really hot and it gets all solid and they're like, yeah, we got bricks. And then they decided to make a monument 
to how awesome that they were. They were like, okay, so, so this, we're, we're going to build a monument so that everybody knows how great we are. This is our plan. And so they built this, this tower, and, and, and the plan was that it was going to reach all the way up to the skies. It was going to reach to the heavens, and it was going to be this big city. And this way they thought that no one could possibly forget who they were. There would be this monument forever to their awesomeness, to their greatness. And God saw this. And he saw what a unified mankind was capable of. A mankind that was united in the language that they spoke and united in the vision that they had. And so the Bible tells us that God went down and confused their speech. They could no longer understand each other. Could you imagine what that would be like the next morning, right? Like, you, you just spent time talking to Jimmy and everything was great, you know, you, you had your dinner that night and you went to bed and you got up and now you can't understand anything that he's saying. Like, what? what what's... <laughs> I thought you were intelligent, Jimmy. Like, what's going on here? I, I don't know what's happening. This is really awkward and now I can't understand anything that you're saying. And, and that's going like, to cause a wedge. There's going to be like a divide there, and that's exactly what happened. No longer were these people unified in, in, in language, though they may have had the vision still. They, they couldn't even enact what that vision was going to look like. No one could communicate with each other. And the Bible tells us that at that point, they dispersed. They went out. They, they spread out into their little areas and, and, and because they, they couldn't function. They couldn't live in the same community anymore because they were no longer able to understand everybody. The momentum for the Tower of Babel died overnight. These huge plans, this massive structure, we're going to be remembered forever and the next day, gone. Done. The momentum died overnight. And it wasn't because of the people. It was because of outside circumstances. It was outside stimuli. In this case, it was because of God. Momentum. In our text this morning, the Jewish leaders of the day are trying to figure out how to stop the momentum of the gospel. How do we stop the momentum of the gospel? Peter and John have been healing, they've been preaching, and people are coming to faith. And they won't be intimidated. You better not do this or we're going to do this. And they're like, whatever, man. This is what we're going to do. You can't stop us unless you kill us. So that's your options. We're going to keep preaching. Nights in prison had not gotten them to be quiet. Threats have, have not stilled their tongues. In fact, Peter and John are being such a thorn in the side of the Sanhedrin that we read in verse 33 that they are done and they are ready to kill them. That's it. You've crossed the line. You've gone too far. It's over, man. Like, we're taking this from you. Your lives are done. I can't take this anymore. I'm just so frustrated. We're, we're just going to kill you now. Like, that, that's where it's come to. They wanted them dead. They were looking at Peter and John and thinking, we are now going to take you out of our misery. I'm going to put you out of my misery, man. Like, it's, it's, it's over. We're done. But one of the most revered of the Pharisees, Gamaliel, he stands up. He has Peter and John escorted out of the room so that he can talk to his fellow leaders in private. And then he reminds them of past times when other movements 
have lost momentum. Remember Thutis? Yeah, that guy rose up. He claimed he was someone important, and a few people followed him. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was about 400. And, and when he was killed, all who followed him, and they gave up. They dispersed. They left. They lost their momentum. Their leader died. Their, their charismatic leader was no longer counted among the living, and so they lost their vision. They lost their person to believe in. And so the group dispersed. Or, or how about that Judas, the, the Galilean, you know? Did you remember him? He was mad about the census that they took, like, what, 33 years ago, something like that? And, and he was able to rile these people up. He was able to bring them over to his cause. And when he died in the ensuing fighting, all the people that were following him scattered as well. They didn't stick around and carry on his cause. They just ran. They fled. They dispersed. They lost momentum. When the figurehead for the movement was removed, they lost momentum. Do we lose momentum? Do we lose momentum in life, in ministry? Of course we do. Of course we do. We're human. We don't have the power or the ability to sustain forever. We lose momentum and, and projects, you know, they, they end up finishing before they should. Certain ministries, they, they end up closing their doors. Jobs run their course. Lives come to an end. We're human. Our abilities to sustain, it runs out of gas. We just can't do it. And, I mean, that goes with everything in life. Anything made by man comes to an end. We do not have the ability or power to sustain momentum. Sometimes, sometimes life is really just managing failure, right? All three of our boys are in, are in Little League. They play baseball. Uh, here in here in Bergenfield. And I mean, for the most part, they're enjoying it. But one of them, he's struggling a little bit because he hasn't been able to perform in the way that he would like to. Specifically, he hasn't been hitting the ball like he would like to. He expects to crutch it every time he hits the plate. He's like, yeah, man, this is my jam. I am going to nail this. And, and if he doesn't, then he feels like he's failed. He feels like he's failed everyone, himself, his parents, his coaches. And I've, been, I've been telling him that baseball is really just managing failure. I mean, look at the pros. A good batter is able to hit the ball one out of every three times he's at the plate. One in three. I mean, that's failing. That's failing. You get a one out of every three questions right on a test in school, and you are failing that test. Unless your teacher loves you and is willing to bend the rules, you're failing that test, man. That's failing. But if you do your job one out of every three opportunities, you are considered a success in baseball, and they will pay you millions of dollars to fail a little less, to fail a little better than other people in the league. Managing failure. I think about that. And I think about how hard it must be to manage losing momentum in baseball. 
Because guys do it all the time. They lose momentum all the time. As a manager or a fan, you just hope that the whole team doesn't all lose their momentum at the same time. Because then you go through like a big slump. And, and it can be hard. You know, they, guys, guys go through slumps. That's, that's what they do in, in baseball. It's what, it's what we do in life. You know, they go through a drought where they aren't hitting very well. And then some of them get sent down to the minors to work on their technique. Some of them get sent, uh, you know, back to, they go back to what they were doing before. You know, do what you did earlier when you got into your groove. Go back to that training regimen. Eat that food. Swing that bat a certain way. Go back to this particular trainer. Like, get, do everything you can to try to get back to what, what you had been doing so they can help them build back their momentum as they are struggling to deal with their failure. As humans, we are not able to maintain our success. Eventually, we all lose our momentum. Anyone here ever, like, skipped a stone? You know, you take those, like, flat little rocks. And we used to go to the beach when I was a kid, and and, uh, Karen and I have been doing it with our boys, too. But you go to, like, a beach, and you get everyone, like, you're searching for, like, that perfect little stone, and it's... You know, it's got to be round, round is best, and somewhere flat. It can't be too light, though. There has to be some weight to it, or else it's just going to, like, take off when it hits the water. And you stand back, and, you know, you just hold it just right. You get the arm angle just perfect, and you just skip the stone across the water. And it bounces a few times. If you're really good, you can get it bounced for a while. I remember I got like 13 one time and I was the king of that day. Like nobody could touch me because I skipped that rock 13 times. Most of the time it's like three or four and you're like, "Ah, yeah, I'm not so good. But when you can get it way up there, like you can see it skipping so far that you can't see it when the stone sinks. You're feeling good. You're feeling good when you get that. But every stone sinks. It doesn't matter how far you skip that stone. Eventually, the stone sinks. And you know, that's, that's us. We're that rock. Rising and falling, right? Thump, thump. Down the, down the water. Until eventually, we, we run out of momentum. It's, it's our time to, to sink beneath the waves, to sink into the water. But Gamaliel didn't end his speech to the rest of the Sanhedrin talking about Thutis and Judas and the movements that failed. He finished it by saying in verse 38, So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. If this thing is of men, it will fail. It will lose momentum. That's what things that are powered by humans do. So just leave them alone. Leave them alone. For if this is something that is powered by men, powered by a few crazy, uneducated, common men, then it will fail. It will die. It will eventually cease to exist. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Can we just rest 
in that for a minute? If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. God does not lose momentum. And I mean, that's the crux of the message right there. If you take anything home with you from this sermon today, take that. Take the truth that our God does not lose momentum. For God, failure is not an option. It's, it's not even part of the vocabulary. God's mission to bring about his kingdom will go forward, as we read in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 this morning, that God will build his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church will go forward. God's mission will go forward. And it will not, it cannot lose momentum. And we see this in action today. Because right now the church is growing in places that it shouldn't. The church is growing in places that it is actually illegal to be a church. It's illegal to be Christian. It is growing in places that by all means and all logic it should be choked out. It should be snuffed out. It should no longer be able to be there. In his book, The Reason for God, Tim Keller writes, In 1900, in the year 1900, Christians comprised 9% of the African population and were outnumbered by Muslims 4 to 1. Today, Christians comprise 44% of the population. And in the 1960s, passed Muslims in number. This explosive growth is now beginning in China. Christianity is growing not only among the peasantry, but also among the social and cultural establishment, including the Communist Party. At the current rate of growth within 30 years, Christians will constitute 30% of the Chinese population of 1.5 billion. Christianity is not legal in China. You're not allowed to be a Christian publicly in China, and yet it is growing to the point that if it continues on its current pace, 30% of the population will be Christian. That's 30% of 1.5 billion people. Now that book was published in 2008, so 10 years have passed, and the church in China is still growing. Currently, we think of the Western world as kind of the seat of the church, right? Like America and, and, and Canada and like Europe, kind of like this is, this is considered the seat of the church. But in reality, most Christians in the world today live in Africa. They live in Latin America and Asia. And research suggests that soon Christianity, Christianity will be centered in the southern and eastern hemispheres. China, a country that is illegal to be a Christian and has been and is continuing to send missionaries here to the States. So instead of being the seat of Christianity, we here in America have become one of the bigger mission fields for the church. And we're being ministered to by a country where having saving faith in Jesus Christ is illegal. God does not lose momentum. His church will not die. The church will not one day crash into the sea. It will not disappear at some point, some point, never to be seen or heard of again. It will not slowly decay 
and shrivel up and turn to dust. God will not let his church die. God's mission will go forward. It will not lose momentum. And what astounds me in all of this is that he, God, uses us in his mission to bring about his kingdom. We, who lose our momentum in everything that we do, we who have got to get used, or we who have to get used to managing failure in our lives, we who are flawed and unworthy, God comes alongside us, weak and fragile though that we are, and says, you, he says, you, I want to use you in my mission. He says, Calvary Church, I want to use you in my mission. I want to use you, your people, and your ministries to save souls. I want to use the truth you proclaim from the scriptures to breathe faith into the lives of the people of Bergenfield, the people of Dumont, that many would come, would be drawn into relationship with me. God says, I want to use you flawed and broken and tired, though you may be. And so God has called us into mission. And some of the things that we try in mission will fail. They will. Not every event or outreach opportunity is going to go off without a hitch. Not every evangelistic movement will go smooth and clean. Some of our ministries will die. Some of our mission plans will flop. I can't remember the number off the top of my head. It's either one in three or one in six, but it's like, I think one in every three or one in every six of church plants. Don't make it. Not all church plants make it. Not all ministry is going to be successful. And all of that is okay because God will not allow his mission to die. Though we experience failure, we cannot fail. Though we experience failure, we cannot fail. We are that rock skipping across the ocean. We'll have some ups. We'll have some downs. But we will continue forward. Someday, Calvary Church in Bergenfield will close her doors and she'll sink beneath the waves. But today is not that day. Today is not that day. No, God has put us here with a plan in mind. He has a purpose for this church and for each one of us under this roof. God desires to partner with us, to use us in his mission to bring about his kingdom. Man, what a blessing. What a privilege. So let's move forward boldly, like Peter and John proclaiming truth to anyone who would listen, even ears that were hostile. Even ears that received the message and it became bitter to them and and they wanted to put Peter and John to death. For even in that situation, God moved and he used Gamaliel, someone who is not a believer, someone who is opposed to Peter and John. And still God used him to speak truth about their message that it is from God and it cannot 
be stopped. This message will not lose momentum. And therefore, its truth will never die. Hold on to that truth as you push forward in ministry. Hold on to the truth that though we are failures, weak and weary, God is our strength. That because we could not do anything to bridge the gap between us, he sent his son to die for us, to pay the ultimate price. And that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the faith in Jesus that God has given us, we will be with him forever. These truths propel the message of the gospel, the mission of the church forward. That promise will never die. It will never sink beneath the waves. It is for all who believe. And it is eternal. Amen.